0: Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the Virtual Luxury Travel Expo. Travel advisors looking to master the holy grail of travel sales won't want to miss this month's Luxury Expo, taking place April 19th and April 20th from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Free to attend, the two-day virtual event will provide travel professionals with the insight, tools, and connections needed to gain a foothold in this lucrative market as well as improve their luxury sales skills and product knowledge through informative supplier booths, networking lounges, webinars, and other meetings and presentations. They'll also have the chance to win prizes, including a pair of $100 Amazon gift cards and $250 savings from scenic luxury cruises and tours. Learn more at virtualtravelevents.com. What's up, everyone? Today is Tuesday, April 11th. We've got a great show for you today, talking big news around the world of travel and Wherever you are right now, I hope that you're having a grand day. Maybe it's not Tuesday. Maybe it's Wednesday or Thursday later in the week. Maybe it's uh, down the road here in the month of April. But wherever you're listening, I thank you for listening. And I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts or drop me a line. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is the email. Or you can call our hotline as well. 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. We're going to have a good show coming on later. Is Georgie Gordon, board member of the Cannabis Travel Association International. Georgie and I are going to dive into the growing marijuana travel industry with cannabis travel and tourism taking off in big ways. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening to the podcast, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. We begin with air travel and what's impacting the U.S. airline market, the industry revenue for last year. Exceeded 2019 levels amid record-breaking demand, according to a new report from Focus Rights just released U.S. Airline Market Report 2022-2026. to The airport also identified four key areas impacting the U.S. airline market right now. Number one, the price service gap widens. The problem won't be fixed anytime soon, they say, as airlines face high fuel prices and cost of capital amid continuing supply and labor shortages, limiting their ability to add network capacity. Also, got yeah, business travel is becoming a blended travel or bleisure as others say so seeing more and more business travelers adding the leisure trips into their tr- work will that continue on they say yes how much so it remains to be seen for sure another area as merchandising proves valuable NDC and similar technologies are still not mainstream. However, the Focus Right report suggests that the promise of offering creative and personalized options to customers could not come at a better time as airlines continue to recover from the operational lows of 2022. And lastly, shortages, inflation remain top challenges. Compared to 2022 growth, airlines anticipate a slowdown in 2023 and are tightly managing capacity. Despite the gloomy economic outlook, though, US airlines remain optimistic about 2023 due to the resilience of the leisure travel and the return of business travel in much greater capacity, as well as meeting and events continuing to take off and international trips becoming more, says the report. Obviously, price, price, price. It's going to remain the key focal point for the typical American traveler. We know this it's not going to get better anytime soon, unfortunately. So speaking of price, though, Google has a new feature. They rolled out a variety of features actually on their travel booking platform, most notably a price guarantee designed to do away with buyer's remorse. So what does that mean exactly? Well, as part of the pilot program, the Google Flights platform will now include a price guarantee badge next to certain flights. And if a consumer books a flight displaying that badge and the airfare price goes down at any point after booking, Google will refund the traveler the price difference via Google Pay. The guarantees are only available for book-on-Google itineraries that depart from the United States. So Google's also offering up a new way to browse and discover hotels on mobile devices to enhance the uh, user experience. So Google's just trying to make the travel process easier for all on that. I I love the idea of the price guarantee. I think it's cool. I think it will drive more people to Google Flights, sure. Yeah, but, you know, I, I don't see them having to refund that many travelers. Prices aren't dropping much on most airfares these days. They're increasing a lot, you see. So this, uh, this to me is just kind of a mostly a, a savvy PR move. So I guess kudos to you, Google, if you're going to get more people, more eyeballs onto your platform that way. But uh, let's be real. Prices, uh, how often are they dropping these days, folks? Not so much. Moving over to destination news, a big one here is Mexico's naval secretary announced the country successfully installed over 9,000 meters of anti-sargasm barriers along the coast of Quintana Roo, the popular state there that houses many of Mexico's popular tourist destinations in Cancun, Riviera Maya region. So unfortunately, projections for sargasm this summer are quite massive, though. So I mean, it's great that they're installing these barriers. That's absolutely needed. Stay on top of that because has been an issue for a lot of travelers out there and why they pick other destinations too, because they know that that is something that's going to get to them. But uh, projections out of the University of South Florida's optical oceanography lab revealed that the Great Atlantic Sargasm Belt contained an estimated 13 million tons of seaweed at the end of March, which is a new record for the time period. That's unfortunate. As the stinky seaweed continues to increase in size, officials said that the massive bloom would reach its peak between June and July this year with weather.com experts revealing that the major beaching events are inevitable in Florida, the Caribbean, and Mexico throughout the summer. So expect to see that if you're headed to those regions there. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration spokesperson said, given the complexity of its motion, growth, and decay, it is not possible to forecast the timing Of beaching, However, given the size and number of the current sargassum patches, there is a strong chance that sargassum carried by the Florida Current may reach the Florida coast despite wind and wave conditions. Expect to get that stinky stuff out there. Um, In response to this report, the Quintana Roo Sargassum Monitoring Network said that the largest landfall this summer would measure an estimated 650,000 tons and impact beaches in Tulum, Playa del Carmen, Puerto Morales, Cancun, Mahahul, and Ishkalak. The Sargasm Seaweed begins to release hydrogen sulfide as it rots, uh, which can cause eye, nose, and throat irritation for a lot of people out there, and it also just has a rotten egg odor. It it stinks. It's not pleasant. It ruins the look of a beach. It's disgusting. Travelers are advised to avoid touching or swimming near the seaweed, so it's not great. It can ruin a trip, like I said, but if you're not prepared for it, it can definitely devastate you if you're expecting this beautiful beach. A lot of the all-inclusive resorts out there they do have workers that clean up the beach though in the popular, you know, Mexican Caribbean coastline as well as in the Caribbean beaches too. But that can also create noise for those with rooms close to the beach. So if it's something concerning to you as a traveler, I recommend you work with a travel advisor to find a spot that's going to be perfect for you. To my travel advisor listeners, you know, reach out to your supplier partners for updates on this. What are they doing? What's going to happen? You know, how much are they anticipating in their specific region and all that. So uh, supplier listeners, though, you know you should be proactive in this. Put something together to highlight what you're doing to prevent this. Get that word out because that's going to make a difference for a lot of people out there. So uh, let them know what you're doing to prevent sargasm from being a major issue at your resort. In other destination news, we jump over to Hawaii's latest on the tourism fee their governor said, quote, all I want to do, honestly, is to make travelers accountable and have the capacity to help pay for their impact that they have. We get between 9 and 10 million visitors a year, but we only have 1.4 million people living here. Those 10 million travelers should be helping us sustain our environment, end quote. Yeah, that just makes sense, Right? Right? So the bill currently presented in the state's Congress uh, made, successfully made it through the Senate. So it would require travelers 15 years and older who plan to visit Hawaii's forests, parks, trails, or other natural areas on the state land to purchase an annual license online or via a mobile app. Tourists who do not possess the travel license would be forced to pay a civil fine. Um, I'm all for this. I think that's the fee is fine. They're, they're working out the price issue on that. I think it was initially was $50, but I think they might drop it. That's uh Going to be interesting if they reword that. How much is it actually going to be? Will it deter people from coming to Hawaii? Absolutely not. Will it deter some people from going out to the parks or the trails? Yeah, probably. Especially if it's fifty dollars. But I don't know if it'll end up being a total of fifty. So, uh, but in the end, though, the money has to be managed well. You can't have gross-looking trails or things like that where travel while travelers are paying a fee to access it or or paying a fine if they never paid the fee online. To, so it would be an awful look to have to pay you know maybe fifty dollars to, to only get out there and see that it's being mismanaged and just have a terrible experience. So definitely have to work through that and make sure that that is going to be handled properly if you do start charging fees Um, because people are are still going to want to go in those trails. That's 100%. That's the beauty of Hawaii. So have to make sure that it's going well. And I I think they will. got to have faith, right? That wraps up what has been trending in the world of travel in the last week. Now let's jump over to our interview segment of the show. And now joining me on the show is Georgie Gordon, Membership Chair of Cannabis Travel Association International. Welcome to the show, Georgie.
1: Thanks a lot, Eric. Um, We're really glad to be here. I'm glad to represent the CTAI, the Cannabis Travel Association International.
0: Thank you. And could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your role with the association and and your uh, role in travel in in general and everything, a little bit more about you?
1: Certainly. Um, I've been with the association a little over three years. I'm a board member now. When I came to the association, my background was primarily, and still is, uh, in marketing communications in the travel sector, and I was pivoting and moving more into the cannabis sector and trying to develop some clients in that area, and somebody suggested that I speak with Brian Applegarth, who founded the CTAI, because the organization combines cannabis and travel, two things that I'm passionate about. So I've been on this all-volunteer board um, just for about two months, but I've been membership chair for a couple of years now.
0: Excellent. Yeah. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to jump on and, and talk uh, cannabis travel here. As we know, cannabis travel and tourism, it continues to climb as one of our most read pieces on Travel Pulse here last year was about flying with weed and what you can and can't do all there, which we'll touch on a little bit and get your thoughts uh, later on in the questions in here. But first, got to start with, you know, what is the latest with cannabis tourism's growth? How vast is it, and how high can it go? Pun intended, I guess. (laughs)
1: Was that a pun, how high can it go?
0: Yes, totally Um,
1: Let me just just briefly, before I jump into that, I do have to – give a shout out to the data that um, I'm going to be referencing. Every year the um, CTAI publishes a state of cannabis travel report. Um, And this year we partnered with New Frontier Data. Their chief knowledge officer is Amanda Ryman, who is on the advisory board of CTAI. And our goal is to um, promote the development of safe and responsible cannabis tourism. And unify the cannabis and the tourist industry, and advocate for enabling regulatory environment and support best practices in the space. Our whole goal really is to destigmatize weed through travel. So, your your question was, how vast is it, and how high can it go? Um, Forbes just reported that cannabis tourism is a $17 billion industry. This isn't anything to be scoffed at. And I can tell you a little bit more about what the components of that industry entail and also a little bit about the folks, which kinds of demographics are doing which kinds of things in the travel cannabis world, cannabis travel world. Of course, more people have selected on the surveys that we um, compile more people selected they wanted to experience cannabis tourism activities than have actually done. So this is a wide open market. People are just beginning to see that cannabis and tourism can interact. Our whole theory is um, just like that famous and great marketing slogan of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. uh, The idea that people try things that are out of the ordinary, Um, when they're traveling, and this is a perfect opportunity for them to try weed. And we're finding out that um, of the sectors of different areas that people think of as far as travel goes and weed, there is a litany of activities that people can take part in. And one of the most popular are uh, attending a cannabis-friendly concert, Um, I live here in the Coachella Valley, and uh, the Coachella Festival is nationwide news. And uh, you can almost, during this time, you can really smell the weed in the air. People come to this valley, they enjoy smoking marijuana, and going to this giant um, festival concert. So that is a very big draw for folks. uh, Cannabis friendly travels, uh, concerts, excuse me. Um, The next, and that's younger folks. I call younger, I'm a little skewed on the older demographic. But um, as far as millennials and Gen Z and, and younger people, that is the highest thing that they want to go to is concerts, festivals, with weed. However, older tourists um, are more interested in trying a cannabis-infused meal. There's great dining opportunities that include cannabis. <laughs> And they also are very, very interested in touring cultivation sites. And we um, look at this as a wonderful opportunity, just like um, wine tours uh, in different parts of the world. People travel to different wineries, see what's available there, um, and then often make purchases. We, we always walk around buying bottles of wine that we probably would not have been introduced to um, if we hadn't gone up to Sonoma or Mendocino here in California. So this is what's happening also with cannabis tourism. People are taking farm tours, learning about plant, all the things that it can do, seeing how it grows, being able to touch and feel and smell it. We have folks that are ganchiers, instead of sommeliers, gangiers, and they can teach people about different effects of weed um, and the qualities that the weed has for what they want to experience and what they want to enjoy.
0: Yeah, a lot of unique experiences out there in in the sector, and it's certainly yeah, billion dollar industry is something you can't ignore for sure, and it's continuing to grow. I mean, I, I am very curious. You know, five years from now, how what sort of numbers in the billions is that going to reach to and and escalate to uh, up there? Just given where we see, you know, even just the political landscape of more and more states around. The country are opting to legalize or do some sort of decriminalization or medical marijuana um, initiatives or anything like that. Not seeing much moving in in my state here in the state of Georgia on any of that front. But there are states out there. There are plenty of destinations out there that uh, jump out when it comes to cannabis tourism in that space. So, what are any standing out to you, both in uh, U.S. and internationally? Here, we can start with with U.S. I guess just in terms of like popular places, trendy things, unique experiences that you mentioned. You know, obviously festivals are huge with with the younger crowd, but, you know, definitely interesting about the, the culinary aspect of, I, w- I would not have guessed that with the older crowd, I guess, but uh, again, billion dollar industry, there's a, so many spaces and a lot of growth of, of, you know, certain sectors that you would see, you know, just in regular tra- regular travel, if you will, versus, you know, cannabis spilling into that, so to speak.
1: And it's interesting you said that, Eric, because you said, you know, in five years, what do we expect? Um, this is my uh, personal opinion, But I have a feeling that in five to seven years, this sector won't be so quite defined. I think it's going to be really woven into the wellness travel sector, which um, weed really speaks to. Um, I've got some examples of that to share people that are doing wellness travel now. I don't think it's going to be a sector that just says cannabis because people can enjoy these kinds of experiences, whether they're um, using cannabis or not, but we just We believe, and a lot of tourists do too, of course, that the cannabis basically um, enhances the uh, experience, whether it's a meal or a spa treatment. Some people take yoga, um, art, you know, painting, and uh, there are a lot of puff, puff, paint, paint activities that people travel to. There are cannabis party buses, which mostly are reflected in demographically by young people that like to travel around and get rowdy on a bus, um, or not rowdy on a bus, but they seem to enjoy that kind of party bus atmosphere. So those are other things that um, cannabis travel looks at, not just cannabis-friendly hotels or um, camping sites or uh, experiences. So you'll see that these numbers, I think, will join together more Um, rather than be divided up between all these individual ways to enjoy cannabis while traveling. Um, That Forbes uh, study said that 50% of millennials, that's, you know, people around the age of 40 now, um, think that cannabis is an important factor when making travel plans. And 43 of them choose a particular city just because cannabis is legal there or at least accepted there. I think if you look at, um, I know that it's not accepted in Texas, it's not uh, legal in Texas, but the South by Southwest event, conference fair uh, in Austin was hugely, there was a huge section devoted to cannabis. So whether some cannabis is truly legal or accepted, uh, I think that that has um, colors the event to some extent. So I just want to touch on something before we go on to um, the different places, which I think are hotspots. Um, there are a couple of words that we use about cannabis. We talk about legalization and decriminalization. They do not imply deregulation. Uh, even in places where marijuana is legal for recreational and medicinal use, sales of the drugs are strictly regulated and only... Cannabis purchased from authorized stores are considered legal. A lot of them allow some home grow, but nothing sold. So it's important to have an idea of what the civil penalties might be in a uh, community if you're going there with cannabis in mind. And um, also have an idea of what you, I hate to say it this way, what you can and cannot do, what you can get away with theoretically. Um, more and more, of course, are totally legal, and you can enjoy cannabis um, openly, if not walking down the street, certainly in um, specific places. It's it's like an open container, and you can walk around with an open container in New Orleans, but you certainly can't open around, walk around with an open container um, where I live in Rancho Mirage, California. So it's that really different community to community. So some of this, these are the the states. Um, I have a list of them here. I can list them off where uh, the cannabis tourism space is starting to thrive. It's not just cannabis tourism, but we really have to look very closely at the idea of uh, consumption lounges. Because travelers come into a community and they're not buying weed and taking it home. And maybe they're buying weed and taking it to a park. But they want to have places to go, you know, once they've, they've bought weed or they're in a situation where um, they can obtain their, their uh, marijuana cannabis. So here, here are the states you can go to, pretty much, um, and find legal dispensaries. Uh, Colorado, of course, was a harbinger for us. Um, they have some wonderful properties there now that are 420 friendly, um, like Uh, boutique hotels and so forth, Washington State, Alaska, Oregon, Washington, D.C., of course, California, where I am, Maine, Massachusetts, Nevada, which we'll talk about in a moment, Michigan, Vermont, Guam, Illinois, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, New York, Virginia, New Mexico, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. So, Slowly but surely, um, the country is turning green. We will talk red and blue states, but we're talking green states now. (laughs) Um, Some of the best places to go in the U.S. are still in California. Um, We have an area called the Emerald Triangle, which is Humboldt, Mendocino, and Sonoma, um, which has been the... uh, There's a thing called the... um, cannabis trail which goes through there which is basically an opportunity to stop in all the historic places that cannabis uh, is is used, was used, was farmed, um, was used medicinally. Um, the story in San Francisco about the medicinal use of uh, cannabis particularly during the AIDS epidemic really moved the idea of consumption lounges forward because people needed a place to go and um, smoke or ingest their cannabis. Other places um, internationally that are very popular now are Thailand. Um, One of our members is a resort called the Beach Samui, and it's a wellness resort using cannabis um, in all their spa treatments, and prior to some of their um, other fitness regimes. So it's very uh, cannabis friendly. And it's right there on the beach in um, Thailand. Canada, of course, um, it's been legal for medicinal there since 2001 and recreational since 2018. And they just formed their own cannabis travel association their Canada tra- Cannabis Travel Association. Um, so they are coming into their own, as far as publicizing um, the use of cannabis in resort and destination and camping areas it, and it's important to know that in most of these states and countries you can't really leave with the cannabis on your person you can't um, leave cannabis uh, buy weed in Canada Canada and travel to the US with it it's illegal and this isn't very confidentially of course people do it um, they get away with it but the truth is Um, because cannabis is not federally legalized in the U.S., you can't really enter into the U.S. borders with cannabis. And theoretically, you're not supposed to travel with cannabis because once you're in the air and that you're monitored by the TSA, you're under federal um, jurisdiction. So it's not really a good idea to get onto a plane um, with your stash even though I've talked to TSA agents who told me that they look the other way, but that that's just anecdotal.
0: Yeah, the TSA is not actively looking for cannabis. We've posted some stories um, about this, as you know, as I mentioned earlier. And here, the number one of our top stories last year was about flying with weed. So they say that they do not actively look for it, but if they do, then if they find it, then yeah, you're going to be in trouble. They, they take that to the to the law enforcement there, so then they just hand it over to the law and everything so yeah don't don't that kind of brings it up to my next question was about cannabis travel etiquette you know the do's and the don'ts here from flying to buying uh when you mentioned you know open container stuff with with alcohol or whatever can some places are are friendly enough where you can just walk down the street and puff on a joint other places probably frown against that because i'm sure residents aren't fans of that as you said yourself you know with the festivals and the coachella time you could just smell it in the air and I, i imagine you know some cities aren't fond of the smell and everything
1: I, I think that that's um, what's interesting is because this is an evolving situation, uh, what was happening two years ago is not happening now and what's happening now probably won't be happening in two years from now. Right just yeah seven- you've, oh, w- okay,
0: No I was to say right, yeah, you mentioned international destinations and picked out a few and I, I feel like if uh, we did this interview, gosh, I don't know, three, four, definitely five years ago. And we we talk about, cannab- you know, uh, cannabis international destination. Most people would say Amsterdam first, but they're kind of shifting away from that reputation, so to speak, as they changed some laws and you can't do it out in uh, public and, and everything. You can't do it in the red light district anymore. And as we post on stories on Travel Pulse about that. So that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, you know, that different places do uh, have different aspects to it, I guess, or different.
1: Amsterdam, I understand, is making this move um, to uh, closing their cannabis coffee shops, or especially to non-residents, um, they're closing the coffee shops. And they think this, um, their idea is that this will prevent organized crime and drug tourism. Um, and probably so, because I know that Amsterdam was the de- destination everybody went to to um, enjoy cannabis in a, quote, legal fa- fashion. um They're not really legal there. They are just um, decriminalized, which is a fine line um, in the Netherlands of the decriminalization of cannabis. But some of the places um, that are legal and um, they all have their, their strange parameters. Some have private clubs where you can enjoy it. Like back in the day, you could drink in Utah, but you could only drink in a private club. So they have some of those structures are in place in some of these countries. Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Brazil, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, Australia, Italy, Portugal, Switzerland, the Czech Republic, uh, Belgium, Estonia, and Moldova. Those are the prime places that um, you can go and buy weed and consume it there. I found that a very interesting list because I know that people go other places. Yeah,
0: I would not have some of those places. I would, uh, my ears and eyes perked up. of like, really, really? Well, wow. and I'm sure some of our listeners have the same thoughts too. Like Italy, what? Australia, what? So I guess yeah, certain specific clubs. Yeah, I guess more the that's some you know, stuff where like you got to know somebody to you know know somebody to make things happen type of situation. And
1: the, and this idea, they have a lot of what are uh, private cultivation. So um, I was talking to a colleague of mine, and some people are, um, they have like very small grows back of their house, maybe six plants, eight plants, but they open up their home on the weekend and uh, either have infused cooking or certainly um, smoking or vaping, other kinds of ways of ingesting cannabis, but they're not big, huge public uh, venues. Now, speaking of what's going to come up though, Nevada, Las Vegas, which is, of course, a perfect venue um, for smoking weed, um, they are just beginning to look at legalized cannabis consumption lounges, which is going to be perfect in that area and will be a draw. And all the data is pointing to that. Um, but right now, they're just beginning to evolve. You think that they would have caught on like wildfire so
0: to speak yeah but you think that would a have very already slow
1: process
0: been there yeah yeah because i mean you walk i was in vegas last year and i walked outside the casino and was like oh okay all right be, you're doing that okay right like right in front of the casino door that that's legal here you can i mean i knew that you can purchase it and buy it and it just surprise me that i you know you walk right outside the door and there's a guy just smoking a blunt right there and it's like okay i guess that's a thing here now but yeah I, I'm, I'm sure destinations out there don't Particularly want that, especially if you're trying to market to families and other aspects of travel. You, you yeah, shift people towards the consumption lounges it makes a lot more sense in terms of, I don't want to say cleaning it up, but it has a negative connotation to it. But, saying, but yeah, yeah make, there you go. Continue making yeah.
1: that a destination. And, and the other thing is about that is that the casinos have not quite figured out how to embrace either the sale. Or um, the consumption of weed. And they are, since they can't figure out how to do it and how to make a lot of money at it, because that's what they'll want to do, they've kind of made it, I don't say an ugly stepsister, but a stepsister. They they acknowledge it, but they don't want it in their building. Um, And I think that that will eventually change, but it's going to take some legislation. Right now, you still can't, in California, I'm sure of this. You still can't consume both alcohol and weed in the same place. And we are just beginning to get some catering licenses together so that you could um, eat, um, you know, eat, and, I going say eat and drink, but have meals or have snacks or whatever in a situation that does have weed.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, this has been eye opening and fascinating. I've just, last question here as we wrap up. What advice would you give to our travel advisor listeners who have clients that are interested in cannabis travel?
1: Well, the first thing to do, and you know, we have a wonderful resource called the internet. You might have heard of it. <laughs> um, and I think that you, if you Google cannabis travel, or cannabis tourism, all sorts of locations pop up. You can also contact us um, at the CTAI. We don't really promote individual. Members, we're not a marketing organization, but we might be able to help um, some kind of a travel advisors steer them in the right direction um, and give them some background as well. There are a lot of wonderful travel newsletters that are out there that people can subscribe to and make their choices of where they want to send folks to travel. So there's, you know, now that we have um, the resource of technology, it's a much easier kind of process to educate yourself on where you want to send your clients that might want to enjoy a cannabis travel experience
0: for sure. Yeah. Study up and and reach out. Can you, um, where can people get in touch with you or, uh, the cannabis travel association, international websites, email, anything you want to plug. Go Okay.
1: Here are the plugs. Um, my email, which really works for the whole CTAI is communications at cannabis, travel association.org. Our website is CannabisTravelAssociation.org. And then also you could um, contact me at my company. My uh, company email is Georgie, G-E-O-R-G-I, at Associates.com. So any of those places you can find me and at the Cannabis Travel Association website, there's uh, just a plethora of information that might be very helpful.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Georgie. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking cannabis travel.
1: Appreciate you too, Eric. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks again to Georgie for jumping on the show and talking all things cannabis travel. If you'd like to be on the show in the future, reach out. Podcast at travelpulse.com is the email address. Thank you all for listening. Again, if you could leave a review wherever you listen, I would greatly appreciate it. You can drop me a line at the email. Give me a shout on the call line, 201 381 3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. Leave a message. I'll be on location next week in the Dominican Republic. So I'll give you guys an update about the Sargasm there over in the DR. We'll be hosting a Trav Forum event at Princess Resorts in the DR. So stay tuned for more information on that next week. And uh, safe travels out there, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.